One of the most famous free thinkers of England was a man by the name of Anthony Collins. He died way back in 1729, as there was a, quite a secular humanist movement at that time. He was the author of the well-known Discourse on Free Thinking. Well, this man uh, one day met a poor working man on his way to church. And he said, where are you going? To church, sir, answered the working man. Well, Collins asked, is your God a great God or a little God? In attempt to try to confuse the mind of this poor gentleman. But the churchgoer gave him a perfect answer. He is so great, sir, that the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. And he is so little that he can dwell in my heart. <laughs> Collins later admitted that this simple but sublime answer of an uneducated man had more effect on him than all the volumes of argument he had read in favor of religion. The problem, though, is oftentimes God is even ignored. In Cherokee County, North Carolina, a well-to-do woman bequeathed her worldly goods to God. The court put out a summons. The sheriff couldn't figure out how to serve it, so he reported back to the court. After due and diligent search, God cannot be found in Cherokee County. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's almost all too true today around our country. But God can be found. Jeremiah 29, 13, And ye shall seek me and find me when ye search for me with all of your heart. One of our goals in these weeks is to look at the great uh, revelation of our God from the Old Testament to the New Testament and to understand that as we know Him and seek Him, He will be found and we can worship Him. C.H. Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, said, My happiest moments are when I am worshiping God really adoring the Lord Jesus Christ and having fellowship with the ever-blessed Spirit. In that worship, I forget the cares of the church and everything else. To me, it is the nearest approach to what it will be in heaven. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, it states that we are dwelling now in the heavenlies. And for many a believer, heaven, of course, will be absolutely spectacular, but it will be very familiar because they have walked with their God. So as we think of the attributes of God, we want to learn these because we want to understand through the Spirit's illumination what the Bible says about our God. Paul Enns, who is a theologian, wrote, the attributes of God may be defined as those distinguishable characteristics of the divine nature which are inseparable from the idea of God and which constitute the basis and ground for His various manifestations to His creatures. And so we want to know about the divine nature, that which is distinctly what the Bible teaches about God and how that makes a difference to us. Let me read the last part. God's attributes are to be distinguished from His works. God's attributes do not add anything to God. They just simply reveal His nature. And so, I want to, right from the beginning, make sure that as we think of the greatness of God, we do not lose ever the fact that He is a person 
who wants us to know him personally. In fact, that is the whole reason why God gave as the personal name to be known by to the Israelites, Jehovah, or I am that I am. I am, I am revealed to you, and I want to have a personal relationship with you. The great preacher, tremendous preacher, Dr. J.W. Jowett said, let us see to it that we do not so far bow to the tendency as to enthrone a law in the place of a companion and exalt a force in place of a counselor and friend, a something not in ourselves that makes for righteousness when translated into religious speech, a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, and when translated into the New Testament evangel, it becomes the communion of the Holy Ghost. Our fellowship is not with a something, but with a somebody. Not with a force, but with a spirit. Not with it, but with him. And so this morning I declare unto you a personal God. And he is, if you are saved, he is in you. Jesus Christ is here in this place because he has promised to be where his people gather. God the Father is omnipresent. He is here we are able to have personal, real, genuine fellowship with a genuine person, God, the triune God. So I wanted to give that in a little bit of background here today. Today we want to look at the essence of God, the essence of God, the I am, His essence. And there's three points that sometimes are each would be seen as attributes, but gives us just the basic understanding of the difference between God and finite man. The first thing is that God is self-existent. God is self-existent. Uh, this is a very key part to understanding God because if you do not get this right, you can inject human philosophy and reason and bring God down from what the Bible teaches about Him. I have a number of quotes, that's why I've put them up here for you. Uh, another theologian, Thiessen, my mother had the privilege of being under him when she was in college, uh, states, by self-existence, we mean that God has the ground of his existence in himself. We have the ground of our existence outside of ourselves, but God is not dependent for his existence upon anything outside of himself. He always was, he always will be. No one created him. He, uh, we are created by God, and so our existence is based upon him. There is nothing that, that he uh, is based upon. He is self-existent. Therefore, God is not dependent. And this is really a blessing. Now, I'm, uh, if you want to turn with me, you can look at it. It'll be up on the screen. But our theme verse for this entire a uh, few months is Exodus chapter 3. And there we have God meeting with Moses at the burning bush and uh, is giving him now the directive to go and to be the deliverer of the people of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. It was now time and God had heard the cry of God's people. But for 40 years, Moses had been humbled in the wilderness. He, the one who was to be the next Pharaoh, had been trained, probably a great general a man of great might and uh, training had to, he tried to take it into his own hands 
in the matter of delivering Israel and murdered that Egyptian taskmaster. And as a result, he had to run. God allowed him to be on the backside of the desert so he could then be trusted uh, to, to um, be the kind of leader he ought to be. But at this point, he struggled with believing that he could go before Pharaoh and before his own people because his people were pagan, though they knew they were from uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They understood their destiny, but yet he knew that it was going to be a problem for both the Egyptian court and for the leadership of the Israelites. And he asked, who do I say has sent me? And uh, the word Jehovah that you find earlier in Genesis shows up here in this uh, very personal way to say it, I am that I am. This is my personal revelation to you. The ever-existent God, the all-powerful God, the one that is not dependent upon anyone else, um, He is the one that is sending you. So, I want you to notice that in the very personal revelation of who God is, I am that I am just shouts forward, I'm not dependent on anyone else. I am based upon my own existence and uh, I am, I have been from all of eternity, which we'll look at. And so it's this, uh, the very essence of this revelation of who God is to Moses and then to the people of God gets right down to the very essence of our God. I remember back in March 2, 1982, a number of years ago, that um, there was just a mind-boggling set of pictures that came back uh, from a satellite that had been launched two years earlier. Uh, it uh, explored Jupiter and uh, sent back pictures of that region of the solar, uh, our, our solar system that we just had never seen of that clarity. And back in 1982, even though there had been a lot of advances, that was pretty breathtaking. But what was really breathtaking was that the uh, satellite was then going to be continue on past Jupiter and go to the next solar system. But it would take 10 years before it arrived there. <laughs> and that, again, was mind-boggling. And at that time, which is a lot more now, they estimated there to be 14 quadrillion solar systems in the universe, each one like ours with the sun and, and uh, all the planets and all of those things. God has, has displayed His glory in the heavens. And I bring this up in that uh, we've got to not limit who our God is. Everything we see displays the glory of God, and He is not dependent upon anything else. He's not dependent for life upon anything else. John 5, 26, for as the Father hath life in Himself, so hath He given to His Son to have life in Himself. Uh, now, an unborn child is dependent upon his mother for life. Animals are dependent on their surroundings for life. Trees and plants are dependent upon sun and rain for everything for life. Uh, every living being is dependent on someone or something else, and it all ultimately is God. But God is independent and existent in Himself alone. Now, let me just warn you here in this study. You're going to have moments, as I'm trying to explain some of this, your mind's going to go, zing. 
okay? Just don't let it be too loud and we think it's a cell phone, okay? That's all I ask. Uh, that's a good thing because your, inf- your finite mi- mind cannot wrap itself around an infinite God. And so it's actually one of those things you accept what the Bible says and you revel in it. But if you think too hard, you'll get a headache. So uh, uh, just want to mention that. In his continued existence, he is the source of all life. Daniel, when Belshazzar uh, mocked God and brought the, uh, all the vessels of the temple into uh, the hall there, and blasphemed the, the Lord. They drank wine in them and so forth in Daniel 5, 23 at the end of that verse. And the God in whose hand thy breath is and whose are all thy ways hast thou not glorified. So he's not dependent on anything else. We are totally dependent upon him and his continued existence is the very source of life. Now here's another very important point. Are you still with me? You haven't uh, phased out because it sounds like a classroom right now. You with me? We'll try to make this exciting. All right. God is not dependent in his self-existence. He has perfect freedom in his self-existence. He is independent of his creatures and his creation. Isaiah 40, 13, who hath directed the spirit of the Lord? Or being his counselor hath taught him. With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him in knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding? No one has. That's the point. He has his, the exercise of his will and the use of his mind is totally independent from anything else. God is not restricted in any way. And God is not obligated to us. Ryrie says, being free, God is not obligated to us in any way unless He chooses to initiate an obligation. He does not have to do anything for us unless He chooses to do so. Consequently, we cannot put Him in our debt. Now, folks, I want you to think about this. He did not have to create the heavens and the earth, but He did. He did not have to create mankind with a free will but he did. He did not have to come through the incarnation to the cross, but he did. Now, folks, a self-existent God, when he says, I love you, whoa, that's big. He didn't have to at all. There's no pull. In fact, we're not very lovely. But he has the freedom to do what he wants to do. Matthew 8, 2, I always love this passage. A leper comes to him. Behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And then the Lord said, I will. And you know, the Lord is saying, I will all the time based upon who he is. So here's some application for this. We need to be forever thankful, folks, that the Lord has obligated himself to us through his word and his promises. Do you realize you can hold God to his promises because he gave them to us? He's not obligated to us based upon our worth, but he's obligated to us based upon what he has chosen to tell us. And when God makes a promise, it's done. 
God will not renege on any truth that he has given. And so it should be very precious. I've mentioned this before, but an elderly Christian was in much distress as he lay dying. Oh, pastor, he said, for years I have relied upon the promises of God, but now in the hour of death I can't remember a single one to comfort me. Knowing that Satan was disturbing him, the pastor said, my brother, do you think that God will forget any of his promises? A smile came over the face of the dying believer and he exclaimed joyfully, no, no, he won't. Praise the Lord. Now I can fall asleep in Jesus and trust him to remember them all and bring me safely to heaven. Peace flood, flooded his soul and soon he was in eternity. You can count on it. God chose to give you that promise. That promise came based upon great price. We ought to cherish the promises of God. They are not glib. They are made by a perfect almighty God who has reached out to us. And that's a mystery, but he chose to do so. And so we should, we should trust him and be fully dependent upon him. He is trustworthy because nothing he is dependent upon. There is nothing that can alter what he has said. Thy word is truth. This is absolutely settled in heaven. And your God will do what he said he will do. Your salvation is as certain as God himself if you have trusted Christ. Folks, that's shouting ground. I mean, that's a big deal. And all the promises of victory in the Christian life and all the things that he has promised to do to take care of us, that's based upon the decision of an almighty God who didn't have to make it, but he made it, and his character is perfect. And one other thought before I go to another point here. We're made in the image of God. God has a free will. We have a free will. That's the thing that's amazing. Now, we're dependent upon him, but we still have a will. So, therefore, that precious gift of our creation, which, of course, we can choose to go against God, but we also have the right to choose to go to God. And because we have a free will and because God is not dependent and yet has chosen to love us, it ought, there ought be no consideration of anything else but to but to exercise our free will and go to him. And uh, we need to realize what a privilege, uh, privilege that is. All right, number two, eternality. It's already been talked about this morning. God is not bound by time. The eternity of God is usually understood as related to time, but that's not, that's not the way you need to think of it. You cannot think of time as we think of time. There is no ticking of a clock in heaven. Uh, God is eternity. Uh, Charles Hodge says, with him there is no distinction between the present, past, and future, but all things are equally and always present to him. Okay, this is another one of those eh, times, okay. We know beginning, we know end. It's a little easier for us to think about eternity just going on and on and on, but it's very hard to look back and say, he went on and on. I mean, there's no beginning. That's hard to understand because we're creatures of the finite, but um, not our God. In fact, he's not bound by time. God lives in the past, present, and future all at one time. That's a great comfort, by the way, and it sure solves a lot of theological system problems, if you think about it. 
And he is so sovereign that he gave us a free will. We're, we're made in his image because he's not bound by time. He's not bound by the future. He is God. Genesis 23:33, And Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Psalm 90, verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth or ever, thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Psalm 102, 27, But thou art the same, and thy year shall have no end. Isaiah 57, 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, he inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. And with him also that is a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. A.W. Tozer says it well, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God, said Moses in the spirit. From the vanishing point to the vanishing point would be another way to say it. The mind looks backward in time until the dim past vanishes, then turns and looks into the future till thought and imagination, a collapse from exhaustion, and God is at both points unaffected by either. (laughs) He is in the ever-present now. One of the best ways I know to try to help you understand a little bit, let's suppose there's a huge parade in Chicago. And uh, we're going to go see the parade. But somebody invites us up to their apartment in one of those uh, sky ri- uh, uh, high rises there. And so we go way up and we're able to see at one time where, the, where they're setting up and they're starting the parade all the way to the end of the parade. And so when the whole parade's out, we can see it from the beginning to the end all at one time. Now, is that, what, is that what's happening to the people that are down on the parade route? No, they're just... They're seeing it in progression. Now, that's not a perfect illustration, but God is eternal. We must not view God through our finite understanding of time uh, and consequences. Uh, Another theologian says, God has a simultaneous possession of his total duration. The whole of the divine knowledge and experiences is ever before the divine being so that there are not parts succeeding parts. That's a little high language there, but it's just saying it's, it's just the whole thing he knows. And the reason God is the cause of time, there would be no time. There is no time other than God created time by creating a finite creation. Hebrews 1-2, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. John 1-3, all things, this is speaking of Christ directly, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so, uh, he created time and the whole progression of events in history. And so, let me just give you one simple application here. If God is eternal, and He created us with an eternal spirit, and He's living in that realm, don't you think that the things that are eternal ought to be the things that motivate us? Finite things are not of God. Eternal spiritual matters are what are of God. And he's allowed us to enter into eternity. If you're saved here, you have eternal life. You'll know no end of your life with him. That's a glorious thing. And you now can begin to think even in an eternal perspective, though not completely. 
And so God has brought us right into his very heart. He's brought us into a oneness with him. And so our life becomes an eternal life. But we ought to then not live for temporal things, as 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, but for things that are eternal. All right, one more. You ready? You're thinking well with me this morning. Uh, rainy morning. All right, number three, immensity. God's infinity in relation to space. God is not limited or circumscribed by space. On the contrary, all finite space is dependent upon him. As Henry Law said, his center is everywhere. His, his circumference is nowhere. I mean, our God is immense. Immensity may be defined as that perfection of the divine being by which he transcends all space special limitations and yet is present in every point of space with his whole being. Now, can you understand that from a human perspective? No. Again, that's another eh, type moment, okay, uh, where... We just can't quite understand that. But the eter if he's the God of eternity, he's also the God of space. He's the God of, of all that there is. So he is every, his very being pervades everything. James Denny, who was a, uh, just a godly Scottish preacher, used to warn his students when he was teaching theology against thinking they could learn all there was to know about God during their university and seminary studies. Gentlemen, he would tell them, to study infinity requires eternity. <laughs> and that's why our, our, you know, as we try to think about it, but we can take what the Bible says. Children seem to get it even better than we do. Uh, to the question to a child, why is there but one God? Well, the child answered innocently, because God fills every place and there's no room for another one. Good theology. It really is. It's an amazing thought. 1 Kings 8.27, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I've builded. Solomon knew that. Uh, speaking of the far reaches of the universe, it cannot, it, it's too small to contain God. I gave you that illustration about the, just the enormous distance between all the galaxies and systems and so forth, and they go beyond what we can even understand, but that's puny compared to God. Does that encourage you about the fact He indwells you? Does it encourage you about your salvation? Does it encourage you about the promises of God? That's our God. 1 Kings 8, 27. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, 2 Chronicles 2, 6. But who is able to build him a house in the heavens of, in heaven of heavens cannot contain him? Same incident there. Who am I then that I should build an house save only to burn sacrifice before him? Jeremiah 23, 24. Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord. Psalm 139.7, whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? Oh, it's so foolish to think you can run from God. And God's immensity is based on the fact of his, his spirituality. You see, genuine reality is spiritual. And this is difficult for us because everything to us is tangible. And our bodies are important. There will be the resurrection of the body. But... Uh, it's, uh, but spiritual, eternal reality 
is what is important. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So he fills all places, but not to the same degree. It is based on his relationship to the uh, creation. He has a special uh, presence at the throne. When the temple was there, there was that special Shekinah glory and the Holy of Holies. In the believer, we have the Spirit of God who truly does personally indwell us. And in the lake of fire, there will not be his abiding personal presence, but God is everywhere. And so it will be totally dark and without the reality of God. So God can choose the revelation of his being, but everything about him is spiritual. As I've already quoted earlier, Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Now, he's here. Folks, Jesus Christ is here. That's an awesome thought. But I can't see him. Well, if you know the Lord, you know he's here. You know he's here. It's a spiritual reality. It's not a tangible corporal uh, reality. It is a spiritual reality reality. And therefore, uh, he is omnipresent. He is everywhere present. That's a total pantheism today is God is in everything. In Gordon-Conwell College, they had a little service worshiping plants. I mean, uh, that's really sad. Um, and, and I'm sorry, not Gordon. They wouldn't do that. Union uh, Seminary did that. And uh, that's a tragic, tragic thing. And um, we don't believe in that uh, he is, he's everywhere present, rather just everything is God. Uh, Strong says, God is the totality of his essence without diffusion or expansion, multiplication or division, penetrates and fills the universe in all its parts. And so the difference between immensity that we looked at early in omnipresence is immensity uh, ex uh, emphasizes the transcendence of God, that he's not bound by space. Omnipresence emphasizes his eminence filling all space. He's here. He is uh, here to be known. And so it's a great comfort that God is never far off from us. Isn't that wonderful? And uh, so these are important things. He does understand our deepest need. Two men were traveling on an airplane, and one was wrapped up in a crossword puzzle. The other was reading, and after a little while, after they'd worked on the crossword puzzle, the man, he said, um, I need a word of three letters with the middle letter O, and, uh, and the meaning is the man's best friend. The man immediately said, dog. But dog didn't fit into the puzzle. So he thought, I had to get it wrong. He kept working on it. Finally, he said, the last letter is D. But they never came up with the right answer. The first letter was G. And folks, do you realize most of the world never figures out the puzzles of life? Because they don't realize that their best friend is God. Psalm 121.3, he will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Did you know you don't need to be afraid of the night? You need to be wise. But you don't need to be afraid of hard times. For he will be with you uh, wherever you go. But, just the final thought, a warning. No man can escape the presence of God either. How foolish it is. Two little boys were on a hilltop stealing apples. in the... Uh, one was looking very carefully, making sure nobody was watching. But several miles away, 
the owner of that area had a telescope and could easily see the two boys. And how foolish they were to think that just their eye uh, and what they could see was really the only way uh, they were going to be observed. And folks, this God who is immense, this God who is eternal, this God who um, is the one that has, um, fills all of space, uh, who is immense, this God does know your heart. He knows where you are. And let me say, you can never run from him. And yet, why would we want to? This God that doesn't have to loves us. And my friend, if you're resisting trusting Christ, why? God so loved you that he died on the cross. He knows what you're thinking. Eternity's real. You're going to spend either eternity in heaven or hell, and it's only by trusting in Christ. Why would you run from him? And Christian, who knows God? You've been saved and you've been encouraged, and yet God has been putting his finger on some things he wants you to do, and you run from him thinking that somehow he won't notice you. Oh, yes, he does. And by the way, that's a good thing. It's a good thing that a parent never lets a child get out of their sight. And aren't you glad that our Heavenly Father doesn't allow us either? Folks, I know these were theological terms I gave you, but they're precious realities. That's our God.